Hi listeners, are you looking for some ways to improve your health? Maybe you're interested in a simple alcohol reset? I'm proud to share with you 0.0 Living. Many of my friends have wanted to do a 30-day alcohol-free challenge, but felt like they didn't have the tools, the support, and accountability. 0.0 Living gives you a simple reset to live more fully. So if you're ready to interrupt your patterns, live healthier and happier without ever feeling like you're missing out, join 0.0 Living's alcohol-free challenge. For more information, you can go to their website at 00living.com. Failing. 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 When we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Hey listeners, I've got Jason Vaughn. He is the president and CEO of Frisch's Big Boy. And I want to give a big shout out to Jackie Rowe because she was our connector there. She is like the world's greatest connector. Would you not agree, Jason? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, the best connector. So big shout out to her. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we always start out with guests like, okay, give us some background about your family, where you're from. Yeah, so I, for the, I'll try to go through this as quickly as possible. So I was raised in Knoxville, Tennessee. What a great, I call it a big town. It was a great childhood. I, You know, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, you know, I woke up in the morning, I went outside and played with my friends. We went to the creek, we played sports, we rode our bikes. Yeah. And I was like in this this nice bubble, right? I didn't realize the TV shows I watched were in other cities. I was just that closed <laughs> off, but in a in a great, great way. Yeah, um, yeah I've been uh, married for 35 years, have two daughters. Kudos Our oldest lives in that. Kansas. Thank you. Kudos to her, oh. by the way. Um, um, oldest daughter and son-in-law and grandson live in Kansas. Okay. We raised our girls in Kansas. There's a migration story there. Okay. Um, youngest daughter uh, lives in Cincinnati and teaches school. Um, here locally. So, um, so uh, that's, that's the immediate family. Okay. Um, any, yeah. any siblings? Um, I have an older brother. Okay. He's two, two years older than me. Okay. And so grow up in, growing up in Knoxville, um, sounds like road bikes played in the Creek, like a, a really, I don't want to say simple because that, um, downplays it, but like, oh, a no, really like happy, pr pretty normal. It was, childhood. it was the best. Yeah, for what I knew normal to be, right? I, I was, you know, I was very fortunate. I was raised in a family, and I don't define norm, and nor do I define family as Norman Rockwell, a dog and a cat, yeah. a boy and a girl, right? I don't define family like that. That just happened to be my family unit at the time. Yeah. Um, I think I define family as a group of people that take care of each other, love each other, respect each other. And it really, to me, I don't care what the makeup is. To me, that defines the best of family, yeah. um, not the genetic part of it. But yeah, I was very blessed to have a great mother and father that uh, just were there, right? Uh, they were older, so I, they were World War II generation. So what was unique about my parents is they were grandparent age when they were raising me. Same so I me. just always thought that was the norm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was very fortunate. Okay, so did they get married later in life? Like, so my parents got married later in life, and for back then, it would. My mom was like thirty when they got married, and that was pretty old. Yeah, you know what? They got married young. They oh. just couldn't quite conceive. Um, 
yeah. as quick, I guess, as they were hoping. Yeah. So we were just born when we were born. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Why'd you move to Kansas City? Okay. I'm sorry. You know what? It was, it was work. Kansas. I, I no. assumed it was Kansas City. So. Well, it's, 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 can it's Kansas City. So there's a migration, right? Um, from lived outside of, from a work standpoint, lived outside of Nashville, Tennessee, moved to Kansas City. I was with Yum Brands for over 20 years. Okay. So I'm in the restaurant industry. So a great development, great learning um, for personally and professionally, right? Yum just does a brilliant job at developing you that way. And it was just part of the DNA and part of the culture. Um, so I moved uh, for a position in Kansas City. Um, both girls finished University of Kansas. So from there, I followed my mentor to Wendy's International in Columbus. Okay. So his name was Emil Brolick, just a really great mentor. And what I appreciated about Emil, he was a quiet leader. Right at Yum, there's so many great dynamic leaders. You could put them on stage. I would offer you anywhere and they'll hold their own. They're just that type of dynamic personalities and they're all bright and smart and very intelligent. And Emil was this quiet leader. And so I watched that and learned from that a great deal that you don't always have to be the bull in the China shop. You don't always have to have the spotlight on you. You can lead in a different way. So that was really good learning for me to develop different types of leader styles. So, um, I, I recall in Good to Great, I think they talked about yeah. the CEO from Kroger, who was, who was like that. And I suspect that you have those same attributes as well. Is that right? You know, I hope so. I hope so, right? I, I think the thing about this business that I'm in, it's very humbling. Um, you can be really good one day and really falter the next day. And some of it's you're doing and some of it's circumstances that you just have to learn to deal with. And... You know, I've watched the brightest stars burn quick, um, you know, in different companies. And, and I think consistency, your team wants to know which leader is walking in the door that day. Um, if you're high one day, low the next day, that creates that instability and that uncertainty in a leader. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think I can toggle between knowing when to be on and when your team just needs you to lead and be authentic. And this is what's going on. And then, you know, COVID is one of these yeah. moments over the past nine months where, you know, your team, you, what you have to count on your team is if you trust them and they trust you, you can give them bad news um, and we'll rally around it and figure out what to do and how to overcome it. I think it's when you try to shield things from them, um, not tell them everything. Um, I think that's where leaders run into trouble, whether it's pre-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID. Um, that's some of the things that I've learned, you know, as leadership is the best thing is just tell the truth as hard as it is sometimes and just be authentic and let them know you got to pass out or you need them to help you get out. Yeah. And you usually end up on the better side of things than the wrong side of things. Okay. Let's, um, can we just sort of unpack that brightest stars burn quick? That is a really, sure. I have not heard that quote. I'm sure that has been used before, but. Yeah, I steal every, everything whatever. I'm about to say over the next 30, I, 40 minutes. I have stolen Oh my God. It, that was really good. <laughs> so, um, so, okay. So give me some coaching here because I tend to be, I tend to be a, a pretty bright star and I'll get really excited and I'll move really fast. And what did you learn yeah, from me? I don't think that, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry I cut you up. I don't think that's what I'm talking about, right? I think being energetic, moving fast, I get accused of that too. Okay. So what I, what I guess what I'm referencing is, let me back up and tell you a story about another mentor I have. Her name is Angie Hanna. She was one of my very first mentors. She was an All-American basketball player at Auburn University. And I love her and she, there was no one that got under my skin more than her. And here's why we were part of a big, and this was at Yum. We were part of a big corporation and I would usually finish at 
the near the top of the results every year. And she had a Southern accent and she would, and the thing always appreciated, we'd sit down for my year review. And if I was second in the company or fifth in the company, she'd always say, hon, I'm so proud of you, but you know what you could have done just to move up and be a little bit better. And I would just sit there and go, you've got to be kidding yeah, me here. Yeah. Right. And she, and the thing I trusted, right. It's about intent. The reason why she gave me that feedback, the thing I trusted most about her, it was never to make herself look good. And it was never to promote her own career. It was generally, how do I make you better? And once I learned that, and that's, and so I go to those brightest stars that we consistently did our very best and give it our best effort. And how do we help each other get to where we want to get to? And those shooting stars, those brightest stars, they burnt bright. They, they, they went hard at it and they scorched the earth behind them, right? They weren't, they weren't concerned about the people left behind and they would burn out really quick because when you need someone else's help, no one else wanted to help them. Right. You know, they had kind of burnt through those relationships. They had burnt through, um, did they build a sustainable method of running a business or did they just make short-term decisions? And once that burns out, there's no, there's no base to draw from or infrastructure to go back to, um, to reground yourself or reground your team. And so I would watch a lot of really smarter people than me, brighter people than me, but they just, sometimes you just put yourself first. I, I've done that in my career and it just seldom works. It just, I haven't seen it work or sustain itself. So that's what I mean by the brightest stars burning out sometimes. Okay. Thank you. That was so cool. No, that's well, amazing. no, no worries. <laughs> um, okay. Let's go back to the, so to that mentor, that first mentor, Emil, did I say his name right? Yes, Emil Brolick. And yeah. So you Please. followed him to to Wendy's International. Yes, from Young Brands, correct. Okay, and then yeah. And so, yeah. Um, then I was kind of done with the big brands, right? I'd spent twenty five years on the road, working for big brands. Again, it afforded me things I could never imagine, personally and professionally. So no regrets at all. Yeah. Um, but I had an itch to say, okay, if I if I really learned all these things, and if I believe my own BS then I want to take it out on my own. And I want to find a smaller company that'll give me a chance to run it. Um, I was looking for a brand that might have a little rust on it. Yeah. That yeah. people still cared about and Frisch's showed up. And that was really the, the meeting of um, how do you take what you learned and then how do you go out and, and try to emulate it? You can't recreate other brands. Cultures are cultures and each brand and each company has their own unique culture. So you can't just carry over the training books and this, that, and the other, and expect it to work. You have to just understand what that culture is and is it right? And did you want to, do you want to move the culture in a different direction? So I was always wanting to run my own company. And um, this gave me the opportunity to do that. To, you know, I didn't want to sit in committees anymore and have to watch death by committee of things get approved and get just turn out something you didn't even think was going to happen. And how could I be a part of a company that you could be nimble, you could make decisions quick, you could fail fast, right? So we failed fast, and I not only do I fail forward, I fail I like sideways, that. I fail backwards. We're gonna talk about that. Um, but but yeah, but we we do go and we make decisions, and we we don't always get it right, but we recognize it very quickly as well when we don't get it right and we back up. Um, and especially when you have a great brand like Frisch's that's beloved. Yes. Um, but there was a lot of there was a lot of that. Um, organizational inertia, right? A lot of good people, a lot of people that work so hard for this brand that had been in it literally 30 or 40 years, like nothing I'd ever seen before. But when you, when you know how to do something one way for 30 or 40 years and kind of the industry's left you behind, then you have to figure out as a leader, okay, how do I migrate not only a workforce, but technology, right? The customer facing all those things and how do you migrate it and not 
put it in the ditch, so to speak. Okay, so how many years ago did you move here? Um, five years ago. Okay, so five years ago started. Let's. I love this yes. concept of nimble and fail fast. So, yeah. um, especially during COVID, and you guys have done some wonderful <laughs> things since yeah, COVID with the great. fail fast or being nimble. Any um, yeah. any lessons you want to share around that? Um, if I speak about COVID, the thing that was very fortunate, right? I'm very lucky. I have a very good team. They are really smart and they really care and they really do quality work. So that's first and foremost, very lucky to have this team. When we set out, we were already on the pinnacle of, we called it the stages of Frisch's I've got it in. It was an evolution. During COVID, we revolutionized the brand and now we're onto this elevation piece um, is, is where we're heading. And so during COVID, we had embarked on revolution before 60 days before COVID started. And like a lot of companies and a lot of leaders you, you've spoken to, we just we just decided to accelerate through it versus stop and wonder if we're doing the right thing. So we just put put the gas down and we just kept going forward. And it was underpinning technology. It was understanding who our workforce was and wasn't. Um, it was who is our consumer today? Who's our consumer tomorrow? Who did COVID impact? Right? We have we have a demographic that's maybe older customer based than some other brands. Right. They've been impacted for life, right? We don't know what their next move is going to be. Will they ever come back? Will they ever turn to that? So we made sure we made decisions that it was what's, is it true and authentic to the brand? Is it true and authentic to our culture? We're we going to try to do something that no one recognizes us for. And so we, we stayed, we let that ground us, but we didn't let it, we don't let our legacy, our heritage hold us back. Okay. Um, we, we pay homage to it, but we have to make sure that we're, meeting the guest where they're at and understanding what a new consumer a new guest wants and we were there for them and also from a workforce perspective um what we love if people want to stay with us for life but when i interview somebody there's two things I, i'm curious about yeah. um one is what culture do they need to be in for them to be their best self yes where do they thrive and what does that culture like um and secondly most of the time what will turn me off in an interview if someone says i want to get the gold watch and be here for 40 years I probably won't hire that person. I, I want someone with more drive, more ambition that says, I hope to learn A, B, and C from you. And I hope five years I'm running my own business or I hope I'm running my own company and I can get behind that. I'm, I, that doesn't deter me from hiring somebody. I've hired people that have a two-year plan or a 10-year plan. And during the way it's, am I helping you reach your dream? Okay, that's and very if not, how do we do that? Though. That's not the norm. Where did you, how did no, you come up with that? People didn't but believe by the me way, when I, I first started that. telling them that. <laughs> Well, but, but it, it frishes, right? And people, when I first started talking about that, I don't think trusted that, right? There, there was this thing of that's not who we are. That's not the culture. So I don't buy into what you're telling me. Yeah. And that's fair, right? That's fair. So you just have to prove it over time. I learned that. I, I go back to uh, to originally at Yama. And it was actually PepsiCo before I, it was before it was Yama. It was PepsiCo. And it really was about just developing leadership. And you can move from within brand from brand. You might do a stint at Frito-Lay. You might do a stint at one of the restaurant brands, or you might go to Ocean Spray or the, the beverage. So there was, there was a lot of interaction. So I learned part of me being a change agent or comfortable with changes, I was forced into it. And I was, I'm human. So probably my first couple of years is like, you guys are just crazy, right? I'm doing a fine job here. Yeah. But then when you get used to it, you're, you're comfortable with change. And quite frankly, you want change. You, you want to be intellectually curious. And you want it. You want to continue to learn more. And in that organization, there was just smarter the people than yourself, or at least equally as, as 
um, curious. And so there was a lot of energy and passion around learning. So I saw the benefits of that. And there's also some downside to that. Um, you know, the downside is that people are doing a good job and it's okay for people to be happy in their job. And sometimes the culture turns to, if you're not moving in two years, you're doing something wrong. Right. And I think that's where I, I'm not totally aligned with to think that someone stays in a job for an extended period of time, they're doing something wrong, or they're not curious, or they don't care about their career. I, I didn't stay aligned with that. I'm like, I'm not sure I agree with that, right? If people are happy and content, there's nothing wrong with that if they found where they're, they're happy, their happy place, so to speak. Yeah. Okay, so are they? is the culture the right fit for them? And what, what are they interested in doing if they tell you that they, they want to stay there for 40 years for a watch, probably not the right fit. Okay, first of yeah. all, can I go back just for a split second? Oh, revolution, yeah. revolution, evolution, and what was the first one? Oh, first one was evolution, revolution, elevation. Elevation. Okay, first of all, that's amazing. Yeah. And oh, how long did you. it take you to assess the company and to figure out that those were your three key areas that like almost like your gates a little bit. That's probably not the right word, but you know what I mean? You bet. With probably the first 45 days, I had a good understanding of maybe how far behind we were, yeah. um, how dense that might be and the challenges that came with that. So, and I have a great ownership. Uh, and the thing, and here's why I took the job with a PE firm. It's NRD out of Atlanta. Aziz Ashim is our chairman and Susan Beth is our COO. There's this connotation, there's a stigma. Oh my gosh, a PE firm yeah. bought the company. Yeah. And, and guess what? That reputation's earned, right? <laughs> and there was a few opportunities, you know, part of it's gotta be, I'm fortunate in my career where I go, okay, that's not a culture fit. I'm not gonna go work for that company. And I won't mention that co those companies. But when I talked to them, it was like, we want to do the right thing. We wanna make the company better. Um, but we're not going to go hand out a 500 pink slips on day one. We're not going to start ripping and stripping this out and try to gain every penny out of it. Yeah. We aligned on, let's build a company we'd be proud to say we owned and worked for. And my quick filter on that is, would you want your kid to work for you? Would you want your kid to work for that company and that culture? And so we've done, I think, mostly right. And there's some things, yeah, we screwed up and that's on me. Um, but it's not with intent or it's not with scrape this out because Every community activity, um, if you think about the Cincinnati Ballet, the Cincinnati Reds, I mentioned Adopt-A-Class, yeah. we haven't cut any of that out, right? We've stayed part of the community. My, myself or my team is, is integrated in part of all those things that, you know, Dave Frisch started, right? I get to be here because of Dave Frisch and the Frischmeyer family. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't create this. I get to just build off of it, maybe reinterpret it. I call it, I call it and I still talk to Dave Frisch's granddaughters, right? The, one of the first things I did when I came in, when you talk about assess the company, they were kind of my, my, my spirit guide, so to speak, in the sense of, hey, and Melanie Heineken is just, just, a, just a terrific woman. And I would meet lunch with her and say, hey, tell me what Dave, tell me what your grandfather would think about this, or tell me about why he did what he did. And I talk oh. about it like an, kind of a Batman movie. I went back to the origin of the Batman. I didn't try to create or fix George Clooney's Batman, right? I just said, let me go back to the original Batman. Why, why, is, why did it start? Why is this here? And is it still what he thought it would be? Um, and she would talk about how he vacationed and how family was important and who he would interact with and what he thought of the guest and that the guest was more important than making money. And there was a little bit of a culture of 
you know, the guest is this and the money's that. And so it's, it's okay to take care of the guest. It's okay to do those things. Um, and so I listened a lot to them and what I found out, you know, and I read a ton about him, Sarah. And what I found out was he was a risk taker. Yeah. We had as an organization stopped taking risks. He was leading edge in the community. He studied a lot. He talked to a lot of people about the business, how to get better. And so what I found was I actually had a very good connection with him that if I, if I sat down and talked to him about the business, I think we would find ourselves agreeing more times than not. And so that I used him as my shield. And when I would talk to our organ, we'd have our annual meetings and when you could get, get everybody in a room, I would try to hearken back to him and promise you the things I'm trying to lead you through this brand did 70 years ago. It is not new. I just need to remind you of, I'm not trying to just maybe re-engineer the last 20 years. I'm trying to revisit where we started and make it and pull it forward to what it means to today. And that's been a good guidepost for me. Um, and when I want to make big changes, I don't go seek their permission, but I'll say, here's what I'm thinking. Oh, and you know, she'd probably get mad at me if she listens. She'd go, oh, grandfather would love that. And that would be a little bit of a guide. So that's, I think that's important not to just come in and change for the sake of change. It's origin because I respect it so much. And part of why I want to do it, Sarah, I have so much respect for people in our industry. Yeah. And if I could tirade for just a second, we have, we, we have in this, in no, this, in this industry, we have um, a stereotype that we do this because we can't do anything else. And the way I always like to tell people that I work with, whether they're a 16 year old for their first job or someone that is, God bless them, been with us for 30 or 40 years, we get looked down upon in other professions. That is just the truth. And I will always speak truth to my team. And sometimes it's tough. And I've told them this all at one time. We get looked down upon. They say, you do this because you can't do anything else. And here's what I have to offer on that. If you treat a job as a profession and honorable, it is. Mm -hmm. The minute you don't, I don't care if you're a lawyer. I don't care if you're a doctor, if you're in government. If you do that job wrong and mistreat people, there's nothing honorable or professional about that. Your title will not get you that. So if you are coming to work every day, giving an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, you're clothing your family, you're putting kids through college, you're take, putting diapers on grandbabies, putting food on the table, there is nothing more honorable than that. There just isn't. And so don't let nobody gets to take that away from us unless you allow them to take it away. And so that's just part of that culture of let's just be proud of what we do and the product that we put out. And yeah, some days we're gonna screw it up. Yeah. Um, I'm good at that. Um, but I, I think it's just, it's how you position the brand and how, and how do they connect to that and why are they a part of it and why do they want to stay a part of it? And some days I do well, and some days I, I do, I, I just don't get it right. Well, just like everybody else, Jason, yeah. um, when you went and met with and wanted to understand, you know, the grandfather and, and his reason and, and purpose or et cetera. Are you like a big history buff or do you, I, I keep thinking like, my gosh, are you like a history major or something? And <laughs> No, but I love history. Um, if I, if I said, who have I read about the most, it would be Winston Churchill. Um, have you read, so I, I've been to the church. Have you read the splendor, splendid in the vial? I have, I have. I'm three. I've been to the church museum twice. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm three fourths through. I could live there. All right. Okay. We'll talk uh, offline when you finish. Yeah. It. I would love to chat with you. And actually in my mint, I told you about when I left Wendy's, I gave him a little book of, uh, it was a second edition of Winston Churchill's speeches before he was 35 years old. And if you read those, right, the, the, you know, everybody probably knows the cliche about him being a liberal when he was young, kind of, and got conservative. But 
you know, there was, there was a lot of passion and fire and brimstone in those speeches. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I love it. And yeah. the thing, it just, he, he kept learning, right? The thing he, he had is he had his positions, but he kept learning and there's a, and that's what I find the intellectual curiosity. That's what intrigues me most about people. And what I find the people that do so great seem to be great. Um, there's a drummer for a band called Rush, Neil Peart. Totally. I don't know if he's you know the band He's one of the, the greatest drummers of all time. Right. And he's been gone a little over a year now. And he quit the and band too, what, didn't he? Like he wanted to stop He playing. got sick. Yeah, he was sick, right? We What we didn't know at the time, oh, he physically couldn't do it anymore. I didn't know that. So okay. he just couldn't tour. He couldn't do it. And I remember watching an interview, right? So just what you said, most people that, that care about music or, or, or listen to it go, this is the, one of the premier drummers in any genre Neil Peart plays on the top stage, yeah. right? And I remember watching him and he was talking about, you know, I got off tour and this was only probably like five years ago. And he went to his drum coach and said, I need to create it. I need to change a technique or I need to play better. And I was like, oh are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It, right? It's my, and so there's so many, I could give you examples of athletes. You can take a currently a Tom Brady and there's this passion, this want to not write in there. And I tell my team, we've got to challenge the status quo at every turn. Challenge the status quo. If that means challenging me, that's fine. I don't care. Um, but I'm always inspired by the people that are so great that continue to try to find ways to grab an edge and to get better. And they allow to be coached, right? And then it goes back to that vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And what I think I do well at, and I'll give you something I think I do well at and some things I don't do well at. One of the things I learned was it's okay to, no matter what level you are, is ask questions if you don't know. So I try to role model. I don't care if my audience is um, someone that's been with the company a year or maybe at a certain level or my CFO. If I don't know what they're talking about, I'll say, okay, pretend I don't know what that widget means. Yeah. So I can engage in the conversation because I want to know and I want to learn. And I try to, I hope that creates a culture to make it safe for other people to do the same thing instead of everybody right. nodding their head pretending we'll put ourselves in the ditch. Let's just figure it out. Um, what I don't do well is I'll, because I've done this a while, I'll jump to a conclusion and I won't let people finish. I'll go, I already know what that widget looks like. Let me just show it to you. It's over here. And I won't let them get there on their own. Mm -hmm. And that might stunt their development, their growth, or quite frankly, if they feel like they're part of the solution, I've just, I just blocked you all shut that. them down. Yeah. So I try to be, yeah. So I try to be cognitive of that when, when I do that. So, first of all, I, I just, I love your fascination with the history. I love that you've, this oh. elevation. Um, so, before you came on the show, was there anything that you were like, gosh, I, I want to make sure that I share this story or that um, I express this point? Well, I, I, I appreciate that. I think I've got some of it out. Um, I would just encourage people um, find your passion. It's okay to have a job for a while, but it will, will wear itself out. Um, be honest with yourself. I felt like I could have been a really good school teacher, but I was too greedy. Um, so I found to choose to make my classroom a four wall restaurant mm -hmm. versus a traditional classroom. And I do my best to teach coach and counsel every opportunity I get. Um, I still consider myself a teacher first. I just happen to be in the food business. Yeah. Um, and I would just say, let that let that be your guide and just be honest with yourself because, you know, you can be as yourself for a while, but it won't it won't last very long and you'll end up in a spot you don't want to be. So can I say that uh, I think a lot of times our listeners are listening because they're either stuck or 
they need some hope and inspiration. And uh, that example of you wanted to be a teacher, but you found another way, an, another, um, gosh, what would be the right word? Like atmosphere. An avenue, another path, another avenue. Yeah. yeah. And um, so possibility thinking is what I always love talking to people about. And you guys this year, specifically with Frisch's, have done an incredible job of looking at different possibilities. So at Thanksgiving, I went to go pick up my pumpkin pies and my coconut cream oh, pie. Thank you. Yep. And I'm going thank through you. the drive through and I saw a sign that, hey, if you want to buy certain items, almost like a grocery, right, that I could buy that there. Yeah. And... I was like, okay, this is genius because I'm thinking so many people could go through the drive-through or they go to Frisch's regularly and now they have an opportunity to get those items versus having to go into a store. So what were some of those things that you guys came up with that were possibility thinking that around that time I'd love to, what was your war room kind of like? Yeah, it was green light thinking. Um, there won't be, um, really a wrong answer there just may not be something we can act on and you know what sir what we did was we went back we, we relied on our legacy to pull something forward because not only could you go through the drive through we could we were on we're on third party delivery so doordash could bring it to you if you didn't want to get out of your house because people were scared to leave their home so we made it accessible to everybody and we looked around and said usually the, the best answer is the simplest one and what's in front of you people need eggs milk toilet paper right all those things guess what we have them we can put them in a bag so it, it was a very obvious way to do it. Um, Chris Ford, our operations leader, generated it. Um, Aziz had thought of it. And then I found a picture, no joke, and I can send it to you, from 1958. And you know what it said? What? Big Boy's Grocery Store. No. We'd already done it. And that's why, if we think we've created something new, no. We're, we're just, we're just, we're, we are the stewards of pulling it forward to make it relevant to today. But they were doing this in 1958, and it's a great photo. It's the old black and white stock photo, and you could buy your hamburger, and you could buy your milk and your eggs. And so it was just an updated version of, so I'd love to be able to tell you I'm a genius. I'd love to tell you how creative I am. But the truth is my team did a great job, and we were, we were brainstorming to say what makes sense because we turned on a lot of technology. We did a lot of things, and we were able to go just like that. Part of it, we were already plowing that road to get to there. Yeah. So we were able to do so many things and be so quick. And, you know, that marketplace, a lot of companies, and what we were proud of is if, if right, copying is the best form of flattery, the big brands then followed us. Really? You know, there were two initiatives, one with technology and one with the general store, so to speak, that we could prove the date we launched. No one else oh in the con God. country had done it and so many other brands adopted that's, it. So it's very proud of the team and the way we executed. It's really cool. That's really cool. Okay, Jason, you said green light thinking. What does green yeah. light thinking mean? I mean, I could guess, but can you describe it a little bit? Yeah, more? it's sure. It's it's letting the team just iterate, and if we're again trying to create a, a new widget, what what do we want it to do? How do we want it to act? Um, what resources do we need? And what if it could do this? And the I always give two analogies um, or two examples. One is the iPhone to say the person that created the iPhone or persons didn't say. I have this record player from 19, this record from 1945 at 33 and a half RPMs. And then we created a thinner record. And then we created these 45s. And then it went to the eight track. And then when it gets set, they're all versions, a better version of what was there. Yeah. The iPhone broke through. 
there was no moving part. There was, there was, I couldn't hold it up to anything next to it and go, it's that, it's like that. The cordless or the, the bladeless fan right now, right? A fan always had to have a cord. It always had to have these many blades and it had to look like this on the front. And now there's these bladeless fans. So someone didn't try to make a thinner fan, a fatter fan, a faster turning fan or blade. Yeah. They said, I'm going to reimagine what it is. And so the green light is just throw it out there, put it up there. And what if we could do it? What if, and then if we can latch onto it, what does it take? Um, and it's just really that free freestyle of thinking of the what ifs. And it was hard to get this team to do that, right? I did have to bring in some external talent um, because the thing about Frisch is that's so great and sometimes can be challenging is people love the brand, but they always want it the way it yeah. is. And what, from a business acumen standpoint, I want that for our guest. but if we're going to survive, you can't stay rooted from 20 years ago, or quite frankly, you die on the vine and you, and you go out of business, whether you're in the restaurant or any other industry, right? You, you have to let the people recognize it's still the same place for them, but there has to be some generational movement well, that happens. And, and it's hard. That's why they need you as their leader. Well, that minute, you're not even going to say, I don't even want you to re rebuke <laughs> no. that because that's yeah, true. No, Tell me, um, let's close with this. What is your favorite yeah. green light thinking story or idea? And it could be Frisch's, it could be outside of Frisch's, whatever. Um, you know what? It was, it was quite a few years ago. It was the way we decided to start recognizing team members. And this goes back probably 25 years ago. It was a very top-down mentality, right? That we exist for so our leaders can exist. And we were in a room, and one of my best friends, and one of I will call him a, a peer mentor, James Fripp, um, is still at Yum. He's the chief diversity and inclusion officer now at Yum. And he and I were very good friends, and always I still have a great deal of respect for James. And we we were having a conversation about why don't this? It feels upside down a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got thousands of thousands of people making the top work. Um, and so this recognition culture and David Novak, who was um, um, a Pepsi executive, he came over and started Tricon and Yum, um, helped build that recognition culture that without recognizing the people that work for you and respecting them and doing, and just showing them gratitude every day, you'll never get to where you want to get to. And so the green light thinking was in the industry at that time, there had been Nothing like this ever happened before with a recognition culture. It wasn't just monetary. It was, right, that, that what's that phrase in Butu? I see you, right? I see yes. you, right? Yes. And it's just, I'm slowing down for my all-important job as CEO, right? I use air quotes, it's all-important job yeah. and going, you are more important than I am. And that's not BS. If you don't, if you can't recognize that, then you're just going to miss. And you might get to where you want to get to monetarily in life. But I go back to that bright star that you're going to burn people along the way. And I'm sure I have along my career, right? I can tell you my missteps, but I hope I'm aware and I can slow down. And, and I promise you this, people may not like how I lead or what I do in, in, with Frisch's, and that's okay. I'm okay to criticism. But every time I walk into a restaurant, I love visiting restaurants. And every time I say hello and thank you and goodbye to every single person that works in that restaurant, and that's not new, right? That's what I've always done. That's what I was taught to do. And I feel it's the right thing to do because, man, they have to know. Because I look at this, and I know you need to close. But when I think about, say, when I think about these moms and these dads that put in hours yeah. in a restaurant and then go home, really, and then go home, yeah. they, they are people psychiatrists. They're their mentors. They're their, they're their friend. They're their parent. They're their caretaker. 
um, what they do on a daily basis, I'm in awe of. I mean, and and that's what I mean by, and I always tell my team, I, you can't do brain surgery, neither can I, but a brain surgeon can't come in and do what you do, so don't sweat it, yeah. right? We've all got our own niche. We all have to find our own way and make it work for us. Okay, first of all, the ICU comment, one of my favorite lines. Oh. And when you go and say, hello, goodbye, and thank you to each of those people, you're basically saying, I see you, aren't you? I see you. Yeah. Yeah. It's so powerful because, you know, every human just wants to be seen. That's it. And I, I think now more than ever, right, we're isolated, right? I've got a mom 90 years old right down in Knoxville, Tennessee. And, right, you just want to know if you're not there, someone's there for you, right? Um, someone's there to help. Um, and yeah, I think it's, I think it's all important. Just, it doesn't matter if it's the restaurant business or it's me or someone just, if you need help, I'll do my best to help. And I see what you're doing. Friend, that is just a perfect closing. Thank you for being on the show today. Oh, are you kidding me? My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to talking to you about Churchill down the road sometime. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. 